The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. It is Monday night. I always feel like, for whatever reason, I always buffer at the beginning uh, with my crappy uh, Mac, iMac, which will be replaced by the time I return for our next show. But, guys, we have another ECU sweep to recap. The Pirates are 19 and 5. They have swept another series. It is our ECU baseball roundtable. Scott Lorbatcher has come up with an even better name. Uh, which we'll get to in a second. Jonathan Wagner and he are alongside. I'm Stephen Igo, the host. As always, like, subscribe, comment, hit the notifications bell, do all that right now. And that way you can get notified every time we go live, whether it be the ECU baseball roundtable or whatever. What do you want to call this again, Scott? Bucks on the pond. Bucks on the pond. Very fitting for how the ECU baseball season has gone, especially in the midweek. I mean, if we if we did a midweek podcast specifically, we would uh, we would do that. Chuck says, "Are we live?" Yeah, we are live. Chuck, if you got questions, drop them. What is going on in the comments section? Right now? <laughs> is that are we getting like actual emojis? I, I think there's are emojis, and they're coming through as. Descriptions of what the emoji is. 
You know, I kind of prefer it that way. I like Thanks, the description. Yeah. Smiling to you as well, Sterling Comfer. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Sterling Comfer. Um, are you the brother of Jeff Comfer? Uh, TJ Dunn asked, do we have another little Igo running around yet? We do not. We uh, So we'll address that at the top. So Thursday is when we're scheduled to go to the hospital uh, for the induction process. So more than likely, I, I will say definitely likely, I will not be here next Monday. I think we're going to have to put the live stream on hold at least one week. The plan right now, barring some changes, uh, is for Scott Lorbacher and Jonathan Wagner to host the show next week, probably in just in podcast form. Um, there's a lot of moving parts with the live stream. They could do it. I just honestly don't feel like walking them through each part. And maybe we'll find a way to do that before I go to the hospital. But there's just a lot going on right now. So that's the plan. And then we'll see on the week after that. But either way, we'll have some form of the podcast. Obviously, we want to go live because – that is the best part about this the interaction, et cetera. But as always, drop your comments. We'll keep them. Uh, we'll keep the questions, comments, all that involved in the show throughout the show. Chuck wants to know: Is it another boy? No, it is a girl. So we're gonna have one boy, one girl, and looking forward to it. And uh, I'm sure we'll be sharing bunches of pictures. Uh, bunches of pictures doesn't sound right. We'll be sharing a lot of pictures. I already got the hoisted colors onesie ready to go again. So we'll we'll have that out. Uh, but enough about the Igo family. Wags, we got another sweep to talk about. Three and one is the week. Once again, Pirates losing the midweek comeback, win all the games on the weekend. We'll get into kind of the, the big picture stuff here in a second, but what did you think of the Pirates weekend over George Mason? Yeah, I think um, the midweek game was really a traditional midweek type of game, I think. And you know, with the ejections afterwards and not having Josh Moylan, I think it kind of put the team into, you know, a next man up mentality kind of over the weekend. I thought Cam Clons did a fine job. And I mean, really just an all around solid weekend. Pitching was really good. The bats were good over the weekend. Defense was spectacular all, all weekend long. So all around is a really good weekend. And you can't really ask for a better way to launch yourself into conference play. Scott, uh, your your take the week that was. I know we we talked how important last week's Campbell game was going to be. Another frustrating midweek loss, but I guess it is at least easier to get over when they keep kicking ass on the weekend. Yeah, um, I was actually able to get out uh, to Clark LeClaire on Saturday. It was a, a beautiful day for baseball. Um, you know, just a great time to be out there and watch a game. Um, and enjoy the weekend. Uh, shout out to, to Chandler Honeycutt because I got to see him out there and talk to him for the first time in person. Um, super fan of the show, Chandler. Um, super fan of our show, and I'm a super fan of his. Um, so that was really cool. Um, you know, story of the week again was the midweek, you know, losing that and leaving 11 runners on base. We're leaving over 10 a game on base during the midweeks, and that includes what four games we've lost by a run. So, I mean, you know, obviously that's that's not great. But in the weekend, it was pitching and defense. I mean, it's it's been the offense a lot on Sundays. And, and this week it was Josh Groves really just shoving for eight innings and um, locking down a George Mason team that I thought played really good defense themselves. All right, we got our first question. As always, uh, drop your questions, whether it be Facebook, YouTube. Um, again, if you're watching on Twitter, I don't think we get the comments here. So uh, definitely go to Facebook or YouTube. 
uh, so we can get the, the questions up. Dave Englert wants to know, hard to understand how the polls handle our Campbell losses. What would we be ranked if we if we beat Campbell twice, I think is what he's trying to ask. Um, you know, that's a, that's a legitimate question. I will say, guys, our, uh, our podcast last week 100% worked. Kendall Rogers texted me, said that we swayed their opinion. Um, Aaron Fitt as well. So uh, we, we got the Pirates moved up in the polls this week as a result of, of last week's uh, controversial headline. But, uh, Scott, we'll go to you. You're, you're our poll uh, master. You're Joe Lenardi of the Hoist of Colors podcast, bracketologist. Um, the Campbell games, midweek games, but games against a top 15 team at this point, how much would it have changed ECU standing right now, if, even if they were 1-1 one and one or 2-0 and oh against the Camels? Yeah, so that would make us, what, 21-3 and three instead of 19-5. and five. Yep. Um Maybe we're ahead of Stanford. Maybe not. I, I, I don't. I don't think it changes a whole lot. I mean, I think it does legitimize legitimate uh, legitimize us a little bit more. Um, if we were four and zero and three and one or three and one against the top fifteen, um, but you know we've had two really close competitive losses. Um, both of them weren't at home. I think does factor in. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that we would be ranked any higher. I mean, I think if they were going to put Stanford behind us, you know, based off of the seasons both schools were having right now, they would have already done it. Um, honestly, I was surprised we were at at eight and not nine because I thought South Carolina um, would would jump us. And I think that if South Carolina continues to win, they will jump us. And honestly, I, I wouldn't be offended by that at all either. Um, you know, South Carolina's – they have two losses. They're starting to sweep teams in the SEC. And if you look at their their coming weeks, they're playing like LSU and Arkansas and Florida. So, you know, if they continue to win, they'll have earned it. Um, so I wouldn't be too offended if, if that does happen. Um, but, yeah, I don't know that the Campbell losses have, have truly affected us as much as that midweek loss to Duke did, to be honest with you. That dropped us from 8 to 12 because then that weekend we went 2-1. and one. We ended up on a 2-2 two and two week. We slipped four spots, and it's taken us this long to, to make that ground back up just simply because we don't have – we had one uh, in UNC, a marquee series to play. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that beating Campbell twice would affect us very much at all to answer your question. Josh Hill says, if we beat Campbell both games, Wake would be ranked number one. So. <laughs> Uh, do, we, do we have to give credit to the Demon Deacons this week, guys, because they actually did sweep a good team or at least what appears to be a good team? Is it time for us to turn the page and become Demon Deacon bandwagoners? I think it's time. Uh, they're no longer fake forest or wake fraudrist. They're, <laughs> they're the real deal now. They're real forest. Um, yeah, I, mean, Miami, I like that. <laughs> um, Miami can definitely hit, and they shut them down all weekend. Um, Wake Forest plays good defense at home, but they don't play good defense on dirt, um, which is interesting to me. I think seeing what they do when they have to go on the road and play on dirt and grass instead of um, a children's playground surface, um, be interesting to see what they do. But they're they're a legitimate team. Um, definitely deserving of, of their ranking at this point, too. 
All right. Um, I had a great, I had a great thing to say. Now I'm gonna forget it. Oh, okay. Yeah, Johnny Johnny Gardner says, "Nice job on the graphics and the border." Yeah, I got to give a shout out. Uh, a shout, not a shout out. That's what ECU did this past weekend. Uh, I got to give a shout out to Bubba Rosenbaum of the Sports Objective. He put together some graphics. Appreciate Bubba uh, for doing that. Uh, and I'm going to try to get him the actual font of our logo, so that way it matches up even better. But uh, definitely good for now. Appreciate Bubba for doing that. Um, let's get into grading ECU baseball's non-conference season thus far. Because, of course, conference play is here. We will get into conference play as ECU travels to Houston this coming weekend. So we'll break that down a little bit later in the show. But we got to talk about the non-conference portion. Of course, there will be games ongoing throughout the season in the midweek. But right now, we've got the biggest sample size, and this will stay the biggest sample size. 19-5 and five is ECU's record through non-conference play. Three and four in midweek games. All of those but the William and Mary game on the road or away from home. And ECU 16 and 1 in weekend action with the lone loss coming to Long Beach State. And I don't have the numbers in front of me. You guys might, as far as strength of schedule, RPI, I think ECU's around 10 or so. But overall, I'll let you guys get the grade first. I'll, I'll wrap it up. But you know, 19 to 5 is hard to complain with that record in any regard. We'll start with you, Jonathan. Just your your grade, your assessment of what ECU has been able to do twenty four games into the season. Yeah, I think if I if I had to put a grade on it, I would probably go. I would say B plus. I think. I think the pitching alone, the pitching has been elite from top to bottom. The rotation, the bullpen for the outside of the couple midweek games, and I mean the starting rotation is as good as anyone in the country right now. And I mean, you look at that. I have questions about the offense, about the bats. There were questions early on about defense. I think those have kind of settled down over the past couple of weekends. But I mean, overall, sixteen and one on weekends. That I mean, that's that's perfect right there. In the end, if you, you know you might lose some midweek games, you're playing some really good teams on midweeks as well. But in the end, you need to win your weekends. And yeah, the midweek games might be what boosts you RBI wise. But if you lose weekends, that's what that's what'll make you fall. So to me, ECU's handled business. There's still a lot of room to grow, which is what's exciting because they are 19 and five right now. And they're really, yeah, I think a couple of plays away from being better than that. So I'd give a B plus with plenty of room to grow. And yeah, a lot of stuff to be encouraged about, but also plenty of room to improve. So Wise goes B plus. Uh, Dan Rosenblum in the comment section he goes B plus as well because of weekend play. Chuck says B minus. Scott, you going above B plus? B minus? Where are you going with this? Yeah, so I'll start off by saying that our non-conference uh, strength of schedule was thirty. Our non-conference RPI was eight. Um, we started the year off ranked eleventh, and now we're ranked eighth. Um, the goal. I think for our team should be to be a top eight national seed. And we've put ourselves in position to do that by how we play in the non-conference. It's easy to get hung up on four of our losses coming on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Um, If two of those losses were flipped, you know, not even the Campbell ones, just two random ones. And we had two more weekend losses, weekend losses and two more, two less or two fewer, I should say uh, midweek losses. 
I don't think people would be panicking so much about the midweek, and this would look like an A or an A minus. And I, I think that's where I'm at as an A minus. You know, if you look at us getting to a top eight um, right now and being in position to, you know, potentially host a super regional in Clark LeClaire again as a national seed and taking, you know, two games against UNC and, and comeback fashion. Um, yeah, I have a hard time ranking that below an, an A minus. So, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with A minus. I too am going A minus. I think for me, you know, the, the midweek games have been a little bit disappointing, but at the same time, you know, you almost erase it when you dominate the weekend like ECU has. And we'll get more into the discussion of needing to win some midweek games because of the RPI, because of top 25, top 50 wins. But I feel like A minus just based on the record, you know, 19 and five. I mean, that is, that's a really good record. I don't care if you're playing uh, high school teams, middle school teams, or whatever, if you're a college program, 19 and five is tough to do. Um, you know, more times than not, ECU's been able to find a, a way to win. And two, you got the big, you know, the the win over North Carolina, the series win over North Carolina. At this point, with the season UNC's having, they, they haven't been elite, but they've been good. And so I think it kind of holds up still as your, all right, here's our, when we play, not even ECU's best, because they didn't play their best that weekend, but here's our potential. You know, we can take down a, you know, a good ACC team uh, on the road and at home. We'll see what happens in the third game. And I think you've already accomplished that. You got you you needed a crucial non-conference series win because of how weak the league is, which we'll get into. But you know, you can't really ask for much more. Uh, I think A minus B plus in that range are fair. And just because I mean, you go much lower than that, then I guess you know you really expected ECU to be 21 and four uh, or 21 and three, 20 and four right now or whatever the record is. I, I can't do math. I suck at math. So, um, Dave, I think I may have already said him. He says B+. Plus. Josh says A. They beat the Tar Holes twice. Chris Lehman says A- minus because of the pitching. Our weekend guys are fine. Paul says A- minus is fair. And I think we had another response. Uh, maybe not. Either way. So, yeah, a lot of B+, plus is A-. minus. I, I think that's fair. I mean, A+. plus. A, you know, to get that, you almost have to go undefeated or, you know, win every midweek game. So the bottom line is, Jonathan, this team has put itself in the position it needs to be in. You know, could they be in a better position with the goal of, of being a national seed again? Because that's what they did last year, and I think that's what people are hoping for. Um, you know, you know, obviously they could have won a few more midweek games, but to this point, if they go out and dominate the conference again, they're going to be right in that discussion. Yeah, they have to be. And I think something I talked about earlier in the year, but I really think that a big key to ECU being where they are right now is that starting rotation because Trey Savage, Carter Spivey, and Josh Gross were all in a rotation opening weekend. They weren't in the same exact order for Spivey and Savage were flip. But, you know, those guys settled in and they're going deep into ball games now. So that's really let everyone else in the bullpen settle in the roles. You're able to use guys like Garrett Saylor, Jake Hunter, Zach Roots on midweek. And, yeah, you might not have won all the midweeks yet, but I still think the pitching overall has been so good. And if the pitching – look at who we played. We played teams like Carolina. We played some good hitting teams in non-conference. And you look ahead of the schedule, 
usually you say it doesn't get any easier, but it doesn't get any harder because the American is not good. So I, I expect the ECU's pitching staff to just continue dominating like it has been. And if they do, then I think the case for ECU to be a top eight seed is going to be pretty undeniable. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And um, apparently I, I, I misspoke Chris Lehman. I'm, I'm just struggling tonight, guys. But Chris Lehman says, I was going to say A-plus because of the pitching. Our weekend guys are fire. Did I say fine? You did. Our weekend guys are fine? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Chris said fire. Fire, he says. I'm trying not to wake up Slater in the next room. Um, nor my wife, who is sleeping on the couch now because of her discomfort. So I'm being a little bit more quiet tonight. Um, either way, let's uh, let's get into more of these questions. Uh, Chuck wants to know, is ODU in somebody's top 25? That, of course, is a future uh, non-conference midweek opponent. They are – They are. are they ranked? Or are they on the verge of being ranked? I think they would have been in this week had they not gone two and two. Um, they lost their midweek and went two and one on the weekend. I think that kept them out. Um, I think D1 was looking for a Sun Belt team to put in the top 25. So it's unfortunate that they they um, did go two and two this week. Um, for our purposes, we're talking about the D1 poll. I, I don't know if they're ranked in Randy's college baseball basement poll or whatever. <laughs> you know, of the 50 that are out there. But, um, yeah, you look at Coastal jumping to 19, I think that would have been Old Dominion had they gone 3-1 and one last week or, um, yeah, 4-0. But, um, yeah, they're a legitimate team. They're 20-4, I think, now. Uh, I think they're, they, they will be ranked at some point this year, um, maybe as soon as next week. Yeah, they're going to be a high RPI game, I think, either way. Um Chuck also adds, we only have four or five power RPI games. Uh, it's a new term there, power RPI. Um, Campbell, UNC, State times two. We need to win all those games. Um, you know, I won't say they need to win all the games, but certainly they could win two or three of them. And if you do win all of them, which is unlikely, you set yourself up in a pretty good spot. ODU, I think, is up there right now too. So that's, you know, Two against ODU, two against State, UNC Campbell. That's six probably top three-ish RPI game left. So, you know, even if you split those, if you go three and three, I think you're feeling pretty good as long as you take care of business and conference play. So, huge midweek games coming up. We'll, we'll get into UNCW in a little bit, um, Jonathan. But, you know, what do you kind of feel like as we look at the future non-conference schedule ECU needs to do in those six games along with other games? But um, pretty much every big – every midweek game at this point is going to be a pretty big game and and the importance of, of, of playing better in the midweek. Yeah, I think um, – I'm not overly worried about – and I think my biggest concern, and I've said it before, my biggest concern with this team right now is the offense and, you know, the quality of at-bats. And on weekends, the offense seems fine for the most part. But I don't know if this is just a trend that it's a coincidence or if this team just struggles getting off the bus – but I think the bats in those midweek games, a lot of them, the real struggles where they showed up have been road games. And you look at that remaining, at least the midweek schedule, that Campbell game is at home. Carolina game is at home. One of the state games is at home. The other one's on the road. But I think for me, it's 
I want to I'm, – I'm very interested to see – and this isn't midweek, but I'm very interested for this weekend because, like I just said, I think a trend has been the offense has started very slow on the road this year. And a f- true road trip to Houston, that's a plane ride. And, you know, I'm interested to see how they come out of the gates this weekend. And then I'm interested to see how they go- continue that and just the quality of at-bats consistently throughout the remainder of the season, whether it's midweek, whether it's weekend, whether it's home, whether it's away – I just think that's the biggest question I have, and I think a lot of people have right now. So it's that and then health. Health is the biggest thing right now. We've seen injuries pop up, but I think that's the most important thing. Quality at-bats and staying healthy, and I think this team's going to be okay. As we stay on the midweek topic, I just have to read this comment from Josh Hill because it's too good. Um, why is, who is the most overrated big school? parentheses big in North Carolina and why is it NC state also how many millimeters of rain will it take for Elliot Avent to cancel the game and Raleigh um love you Josh uh, appreciate this comment I, I definitely think and you saw him firsthand Scott NC state is always a hitting team that has like two or three good arms and then there's a major drop off and it seems like that's almost the same the same thing this year yeah um I've watched them quite a bit. My uh, in-laws both went to, to NC State, and uh, my father-in-law actually has um, season tickets to NC State. So I, I tag along sometimes just to get out of the house and watch some baseball. So nobody throw rocks at me for that. But um, also that helps me get a, get in when we play there. Um, so, um, yeah, from what I could see is they have a pretty good Friday night starter. Um, their Saturday guys like 84. Um, uh, I think his name's Willardson. Um, and then Sunday, I think they've kind of bounced around guys and thrown a freshman or two. Um, but their bullpen just – I mean, when it, when you see an ACC team try out guys throwing like 84, 85, 82, 83, you just don't really expect that out of an ACC team or a, really even a top 25 team. Like, you look at some of the teams we played this year, like Georgetown had guys throwing in the 90s. Um George Mason had a guy that threw like 94. Like it's it's just really really surprising to see them not have, you know, we like you said they don't always have great pitching, but they don't really have good pitching at all this year. Um, they give up a lot of runs. They don't play great defense. They lost that Boston College game. Um, like Jack Jack pointed out here on the right fielder just fell down. I, I it's one of the most bizarre fielding blunders i've seen in a while he just fell over also watched one of their fielders drop his hat over their fence earlier this year on a ball he tried to rob and then his hat was just on the other side of the fence and then you know like they don't have like an easy access at, at their stadium so i had like run around and get in but yeah i mean i think state they'll go on a stretch here in probably two or three weeks when they play the weaker part of their schedule where they win two series in a row but they look a five. They look like a five hundred or worse ACC team to me, um, and it, but that's not to say that they can't beat us because they really can hit the ball. Um, and if we go in there on Tuesday nights and leave 10, 11 guys on base, they're going to probably put up four, five, six runs. So it's going to be really important to get guys on, over, and in, and not just on and over like we've done the last couple midweeks. Yeah, and I've covered this team a long time. Obviously, grew up watching ECU baseball. I can't remember the last time ECU won in Raleigh over NC State. Like it feels like it's been a long time. So I mean, it's 
you know, we can talk crap about NC State, and obviously some of this is in jest. Like, they're a good baseball program. They've been to Omaha multiple times. But ECU's got to find a way to, to at least beat them once in the midweek, hopefully, and then kind of kill that that Raleigh bug. I've seen them lose some – I've seen some unfortunate things go against them in in, uh, in Doak, uh, including the home run that was down the line that was, I believe, called foul. And then Avent went out to argue – they overturned it, and Cliff about lost his mind. Um, but, yeah, we'll obviously preview that game more when we get there. Kind of on this topic, Philip Unger wants to know, as far as rankings go, what remaining game on the schedule is the biggest? You know, for me, I don't – like, I don't think a midweek game matters that much, guys. Like, if you drop – for me, if you drop a weekend series in conference play – you're going to plummet in the rankings. So this may be a cop-out answer, but like for me, every weekend is still the most important because you can beat NC State throwing whoever, but if you lose two out of three to Cincinnati, you're going to plummet in the rankings. So uh, any uh, any disagreements there? Jonathan, we'll start with you. No, I completely agree. The midweek games, yeah, they're nice to win and you want them, especially for the RPI boost. But like I said earlier, you can lose a midweek game, but if you lose on the weekends, that's when you drop, like you said. And I think to me, it's just the lack of – I don't even want to say lack of quality because that's giving the conference too much credit. The lack of average baseball in this conference, it, it's alarming. I mean, you have to – I think you have to go in and sweep UCF because that's probably your last quality series remaining. So I think you got to go in and sweep that. You don't, you don't have to, obviously, but – that's your last chance to really give yourself a boost, a weekend boost. And obviously who knows how the rest of the conference will shake out the rest of the season. There's a lot of baseball left to go, but yeah, I think the weekends are what's important and you have to take advantage of the chances you do get to face a quality team. And I think we can consider UCF as a quality ish right now, or maybe that's just because they're so much better than the rest of the conference, which is not saying anything. Yeah, who really knows at this point? Um, every week, I think UCF's pretty good. They lose. Who they lose to? They got crushed by Maryland the last Maryland, two games. Yeah. Weekend. yeah, which Maryland's not bad, but still, Big Ten baseball is a joke. Welcome <laughs> back, Iowa. Um, Scott, any any thoughts here? Or are you kind of in tune with Wags and I? Yeah, I think the twenty four conference games are probably the most important games on our schedule right now. Um, as many of those as we can win will help us in the long run. Um, and then, yeah, UC, that UCF weekend um, be huge. Their um, record versus the their Q1 record, they have – I think they're like 6-2, and two, and then their, their Q2 record is like 2-5 and five or something like that. So they definitely get up for, for the good teams that they play, and um, we're going to be probably one of the better teams that they'll play all year. I know they – they swept Florida State over um, back-to-back midweek games. Um, but just to say something that's not the weekend, uh, I'll say uh, UNC, um, if we can sweep them for our resume, that's going to be really nice, especially if they keep playing the way that they, they've been playing, staying in the top you know, 16 where they're going to be a host site. If we can say, well, we have a three-game sweep over a, a team that hosts, and then Campbell, you know, if they're also in that conversation, winning that last game to where we can say, well, we won one, they won two. Um, you know, if we can beat them by like four or five, we can say, well, you know, they won two by one run each and we won 
ours by a lot more. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think I think it really is the conference games, but but it, winning against both UNC and Campbell, I think, is going to go a long way for our resume. Yeah, I think Campbell is kind of a sneaky big game into the regular season because I, I remember last year they threw their Friday night guy for a couple innings in that game, may have even started them, but um, – because they were basically gearing up for the conference tournament at that point, wanted another marquee win, and they're going to try to say, hey, we swept East Carolina if they're in the mix for a hosting spot. So that, that's a big game for them and for ECU to prevent that from happening. Um, Johnny Robertson says he's our stat guy. He says in the last 14 games, the Pirates have only allowed one run after the seventh inning, Missouri State game three. The Pirates have outscored their opponents 44-4 to in the eighth inning on the season. Indiana and Georgetown are the only teams to score in the eighth. Um, great stats, Johnny. First off, second, uh, secondly, it just—I mean—it just kind of shows a ECU has become an elite late-game offense. Basically, when they get to the other team's bullpen, they've been elite, and then the bullpen itself for ECU has been pretty incredible. Um. Of late, I mean, Wyatt Lunsford Shinkman has been a big part of that. I feel like we need to talk about him, Wags, his his development because he's been pitching in a lot of these late game situations. So, what have you seen to allow these statistics to come to life? Yeah, I think uh, Wyatt Lunsford Shinkman is an interesting guy because I think he kind of came on late last year and all off season long. You know, he was kind of talked up to be you know that next guy to step up in the bullpen. But I still, even with that, I still think he kind of went, you know, maybe a little underrated going into the year. You know, he wasn't quite as high on maybe my radar as I, he probably should have been when we talked about impact bullpen guys. And, again, I, I'm going to bring everything back to this, but I really think that Lunchford Shankman's development has a lot to do with the success of the starting rotation. Because a lot of times he comes in after Trey Savage on Friday nights and he goes the rest of the way. Whether your savage is going one inning in the ninth to close it out in a one-run game, or he's coming in in a close game in the seventh or the sixth, and he's going the rest of the way, pretty much no questions asked. And I mean, he's just really—he's got a really, really strong fastball. His off-speed's been a lot better this year, I think. And I mean, he doesn't mess around. He doesn't walk or he doesn't walk guys. He's around the strikes on a lot. And teams might put the ball in play, but with the way he has pitched this year, it hasn't mattered. He's been pretty much unhittable. And it's really nice to see, especially with, you know, some of the injuries with like Garrett Salo this past weekend, you know, Willie Lumpkin last week and just kind of those guys, you know, a little shorthanded having lunch with Shankman step up and pitch as well as he has, has been really nice to see. And he's a, I think he's that next guy. He's taken on that Carter Spivey role out of the bullpen from last year, I believe. And Scott, so often last year, we saw ECU's best relievers come in in like the third, fourth, fifth inning, and now we're finally seeing those guys come in late in games, and I think that has something to do with it too, as Wags kind of hit on. But, um, you know, we've seen Sheikman a lot, but ha have any other guys caught your eye? I mean, we haven't seen too many relievers lately, but uh, we're going to have to see more coming up, obviously going to UNCW uh, in the midweek game and then with Sailor being sidelined for a little bit. Right, yeah. Um, Landon Yen this weekend looked pretty good. Um, Garrett Saylor was obviously, you know, kind of rolling along there until um, his injury. Uh, Jake Hunter in the midweek has, has been pretty great. I think we have six guys who have a whip under one 
Um, and five of those guys are in the bullpen. Um, yeah, and, and that's you look at it, and it's just we're we're those guys are going to be so much more fresh when we get to Clearwater, which is where I think it's really going to be important. Um, you know, in the years past, where especially last year, even though we won it, our strength wasn't our our pitching; it was our bullpen. But your bullpen gets taxed when you play four or five games over a short period of time. And the same thing going into um, regional weekend where your bullpen is going to be really, really important. Those guys are going to have much fresher arms this year than they had last year or really any year that I can, that I can recall at all. Uh, while we're on this topic, uh, Jack says, oh, I might have missed it. Did we get an update on Sailor? So, yeah, Sailor, um, Cliff described it Friday, I believe, as day-to-day with an oblique rib deal. Um he said on 94-3 the game today that it's probably going to be at least a few weeks. You know, with the oblique for a pitcher, they don't want to – you know, you, with so much torque there, the last thing you want to do is re-aggravate it. So, I've already heard he's, he's feeling a ton better. Uh, it's just one of those things where hold him out now, give him a week or two, then slowly work him back in, see how he does physically because there's just – there's too much on the line – uh, too much season left to to try and rush him back. And honestly, with the way the pitching staff is, you can find the innings with other guys uh, right now. So uh, certainly want him to get healthy and be welcomed back uh, sooner rather than later. But uh, that's kind of the situation right now with Garrett Saylor. Um, we got a few questions about tomorrow night's game against UNCW. First off, it it has been designated as a blackout, so – um, if you're going, I guess wear black. The team will be wearing black. Jake Hunter is scheduled to get the start. And I can't remember who's starting for UNCW. We had a few people ask what the pitch matchup is. But uh, with Sailor sidelined, a big opportunity for Hunter. And it's kind of been the Sailor, Zach Root, Jake Hunter show in the midweek games thus far uh, of late, Jonathan. So what are you expecting or hoping for Jake tomorrow night? I think it's the same thing, you know, with – Anybody, especially on midweeks, just go in there and pound a strike zone. If they hit you, they hit you. But to me, I'd rather – if you're going to lose, I'd rather do it by teams hitting you than you walking guys and not making them earn it. And I think Jay Connor has been really good this year, and a lot of that has to do with exactly that. He's throwing strikes. He's around the strike zone a lot, and it's the same thing. He's He's not really messing around. He's around the zone. He's not working around guys. He's going right after hitters, and I think – that speaks, I said, that speaks to his confidence. And Jay Cone has been really nice, whether it's been him, you know, starting midweeks or even pitching out of the bullpen a couple times. It's It's been really nice to see. And I did look up UNCW's pitcher is Ryan Calvert. He has 4.1 innings on the year, 0.0 ERA. I That's about all I got on him. But, but yeah, I think for Jay Connor, it's just the same thing. Go out, throw strikes. You got the home crowd behind you. Hopefully it's a nice crowd. And hopefully your bats can come out hot and give you a lead early on. But if they, if your bats do start slow, you pretty much need to be, I think, that one to two run range, if not better than that. And I'm confident that Jay Connor can do that. Yeah, Ryan Calvert thus far, uh, he's a 6'5", 230-pound right-hander, by the way. So big boy, uh, four and a third innings, like you said, six Ks, two walks. So it looks like it'll be a staff day for UNCW. 
Um, I wouldn't expect them to go too far. They kind of went staff day against ECU the first time around with, you know, mixed results. They held ECU to five runs, but again, 15 guys were left on base. So you were one hit away from scoring seven, eight runs. Um, Scott, what are you expecting Tuesday, whether it be Jake Hunter, whether it be from the Pirates in general, and what's always a fun midweek game when the the rival Seahawks come to town? Yeah, um, so one, I think I'm more interested to see how we bounce back against the loss against them at their place. Kind of like I was with Campbell. Um, We didn't respond as well as I thought we would with Campbell. Um, I'm hoping that we respond much better against um, UNCW, but um, yeah, I, I would look to see Jay Connor go between three and five innings. Um, if we get four out of them, I think that's a good outing, um, followed by Root, and hopefully he can give you three or more innings. Um, really, it's going to be pitch count, though. It's probably 50 pitches for Hunter, 50 pitches for Root, and then, you know, the bullpen take it the rest of the way. Um, but, yeah, I think we just need to jump out on them. Um I'm, one, I'm happy that we actually get to watch this one and we don't have to pay $80 um, to watch it through somebody's cell phone camera. But, um, yeah, I mean, just I just want to see us respond. Get guys on base, get them on, get them in, and, you know, put up 12, 13 runs on, the, on midweek pitching like we really should, um, you know, and this team is really capable of. Jake Hunter thus far, the biggest impression for me, guys, has been the uptick in strikeouts, 18 Ks against four walks and 12 innings. The slider has become a swing and miss pitch for him. It was not that way last year. Uh, I don't, you know, he's not a guy who should fall in love with the strikeout because his command is always going to lead him. But at the same time, just his development to to have a little more swing and miss to his game. You know, he's, he hasn't given up a home run yet this year. I know I just put the jinx on him, but either way, I'm knocking on wood. Still, I mean, even if he goes up and gives up two bombs tomorrow, like zero home runs through 12 innings is a big deal for Jake. Um, 37 pitches against Missouri State a couple weeks ago, and then 44 at UNCW. He's been up to 69 at Elon as far as pitch count, but I do think 50 pitches sounds about right. Um, Scott, somewhere in that range, depending on how the game goes. So big opportunity for the Pirates to bounce back against uncw and celebrate and save at ashley's anniversary sale with hot buys your choice of color starting at just 3.99 ashley sleep mattresses starting at 250 plus receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like stearns and foster temper pedic purple and beauty rest black with 60 month special financing only at ashley subject to credit approval no minimum purchase required minimum monthly payment down payment tax and delivery may be required see store for details before we get off this midweek topic, since there'll be a lot of midweek games left, we'll hit on it from Dave. He says, we are three and four midweek, right? That is correct. Uh, we should have great midweek crowds versus Wilmington State and UNC, so that would be a boost, plus a good, good crowd for the last Campbell game. Would seem to be pretty important that we finish over 500 midweek. And, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, I don't know. I mean, th- does the committee look at what did ECU do midweek at all at the end of the regular season unless ECU just loses uh, eight out of nine of these games I think maybe it's not as important that then we might think I don't know what do y'all think yeah I I mean obviously you don't want to lose all your midweek games Uh, I think that shows a severe lack of either depth or 
hitting or I'm, I'm not even sure what, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if we went 24 and 0 in our conference and lost every midweek game, I don't know that it affects us any more or less than if we went 20 and four and, and um, won four, four of the midweek games. I mean, it really comes down to wins and losses. Um, in the eyes of the committee, they do look at weekend series losses. That is a, is a metric that they have looked at um, in years past. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think you have to win your midweek games. I just think it's a bad look not to win games during the middle of the week. It's just one of those things, Wags, where if you don't win any midweek games, it leaves you so little margin for error elsewhere. So it's like – Look, we make we're making a big deal about this because a ECU's dominated the weekend, so like we have nothing else to talk about. <laughs> that's negative, so we got to dwell on the negative. That's what the media, that's what the fans do. That's what we're getting questions about. But um, you know, these things tend to balance out. It's, you know, I'd be pretty surprised if ECU just doesn't win any midweek games. And two, it's like they've only played one midweek game at home. They're not going to lose all these games at home. I don't think uh, over the coming weeks. Yeah, like I said, I think. I think there probably is some correlation with the midweek struggles being a lot of them have been on the road so far. So the next stretch pretty much all being at home will be nice, and I expect more wins because of that. But as far as, you know, how how much they impact your standing in the end, I think if you keep going what you're doing right now and you go about 500 midweeks, it's probably not going to matter. If you go and win out, win the rest of them, yeah, the committee might notice. If you lose, if you lose them all, the committee will notice. But in the end, it's if you keep dominating the weekend, it's going to take so much attention off of the midweeks. I think, but I think that is a good point that you brought up. With if you do come out and say lose to UNCW, it does add pressure to the weekend. Not that the teams playing for the rankings, they don't give a crap about any of that stuff. But but you know just. I mean, at least it's easy for us to say, you know, if you lose on Tuesday, you want to win every game, but it, you have to win the series. You have to go two and one on the weekend. And I think there is so little margin for error. So the team might not be focusing on it, but it, I think that does matter. So that's a, that's an important little counterbalance there to look at, but you just win them, win them. That's my hope. Just win, just win, baby. Uh <laughs> Um, uh, I don't know why that was so funny. Uh, uh, Josh Hill, we haven't talked like any actual personnel in this podcast, so let's let's do some of that. Um, and I think this is a valid question. And you know, we we again we talk about this because if a guy's batting average isn't high or whatever, these things tend to get noticed. But he asked, should should Dixon Williams be getting more playing time if Alec Makarevich can can't get back in a groove at the plate? Um, I did think AMAC looked better this weekend. And again, Coach Goblin said they did some film review from his for his left-handed swing and, and think they kind of fixed some things. He hit the long home run over the weekend. Um, and that's part of his game. Home run, swing and miss, you're going to get that. I would like to see Dixon Williams or Connor Rasmussen mm-hmm. play, but it's just one of those things you're kind of squeezed right now. You can only play nine guys. And uh, What's your take on this, Scott, as far as – getting Dixon potentially more at bats as the season moves on. Yeah, I think I texted you guys last week that I thought A-Bank just needed a day off. Um, you know, you look at what it did for Hoover, who's batting like 500 over the last um, two weeks. 
um, getting a couple of days off to kind of reevaluate things, to watch the game, um, to be to be a observer of the game while you're at the game, and, and less of a participant. Um, sometimes it can change your perspective. It can start picking up on things that you miss just by stepping away. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't mind um, seeing Dixon Williams uh, get some some playing time, you know, over Amac or um, you know even maybe at short a game or two just to see what he can do there, especially if if we're on a Sunday where we're up late, just to just see what else we have. Um, not that Barini hasn't, hasn't done well of late, but um, yeah, I, I would, I, I could definitely see a Dixon Williams start in the next few games happening. Yeah. And I think he's, he's put up good at bats. I know he struck out this weekend in a pinch hit late in the game, but um, typically he's worked a good count. He's put the ball in play, hit it hard a couple of times. So he's going to be a, a big time player, whether or not it happens this year. Same with, you know, other guys on the roster like Rasmussen, um, you know, Cam Clonch, we saw step up this past weekend, awesome defensively. So it's just when you've, when you've got such a good team and you've recruited so well, you got a ton of depth. It's, it's hard to play everybody. I mean, Carter Cunningham is playing well, you know, Noah, uh, Riley Johnson, Cunningham, JC, they can't all play at the same time along with, um, Riley Johnson, I don't know if I mentioned him, but there's there's five outfitters and there's three spots. So um, either way, Dan Rosenblum, speaking of, I, th- I think the guy left out was Lane Hoover. So let's talk about this, guys. Lane Hoover, first off, great moment. We didn't even know at the time that his grandfather, um, he, had, he had talked with him earlier in the day, didn't know how much time was left with him, and he actually ended up passing away during the game. They, uh, they said before he hit the home run, uh, which we didn't know that until our interview. So, extremely emotional day for Lane Hoover. Awesome moment. Uh, Dan wants to know the Lane Hoover home run hit the Taco Bell sign. He needs closure. Scott, you watched the replay, what, 75 times at least? I watched it so I didn't want to ask. That's how many times I was like, I'm going to figure out if this hit this side or not. Um, and, and finally, I was just like, I, I give up. Like, I, I was like, I'll just text you guys <laughs> to find out. Um, so apparently it did not hit the Taco Bell sign. So that was unfortunate. Also, just want to, um, you know, our thoughts are with um, Lane and his family, obviously, for um, the loss of his grandfather. I'm, I've been really close with mine over the years, so I, I would imagine that that's been pretty tough on him. Um, so, yeah, I just – our thoughts are with him and um, yeah, but unfortunately he did not have the Taco Bell sign. Yeah. No, uh, no Taco Bell sign. Although to be honest, guys, we could just be that we could be the start of the urban legend and just say that it grazed the Taco Bell sign. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, it could just roll from there. Nobody would ever know. Nobody would question us. They would, they would not question the ducks on pond. What, what was it? <laughs> It was the Bucks on the pond. Oh, yeah, the Bucks on the pond. It was a good try. Maybe our, our pitching staff should just refer to themselves as the Taco Bell sign because nobody can hit it. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's a good one right there. That's, that's, right. Wow. Scott's one-liner. Scott's on the roll. All-time high right now. Do you do you think about this content all day while you're working? Just like, what can I say on the podcast? That one was, that one was uh, just off the dome there. But, yeah, there's a lot while I'm working. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Christian Bateman asks, 
what's going on with the transfer from Texas A&M. Christian, where you been at, bro? <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. He's gone. Not Christian. He was on my list of people that I thought would be like surprise contributors on the first podcast. So shout out to me for being wrong. Hey, we all take L's every now and then. Uh, I'm, I, I think I said a few years ago something about some guy leading the team and wins. I don't even think he had a win. Um, so <laughs> happens to the best of us or the worst of us in my case. Um, all right, Josh Hill says, uh, let's see here, contrary to some of the message board, what Austin Knight has done the last two years with this staff has been super impressive. Yeah, I, I thought that Austin Knight was inexperienced and had no clue what he was doing, Jonathan. I thought that he was a terrible pitching coach. What happened? It's it's so crazy to me how going into the offseason there could even be questions. I mean, if you look at the pitching staff last year, and we've talked about this – to no end, but last year you entered thinking Carson Wisenhunt was going to be a Friday night ace, and it's so far away. I mean, who knows what the rotation would have been after that. Obviously, it didn't work out that way. Opening weekend, you're scrambling to fill a rotation, and like I've rambled on for hours before, it, that last year just did not allow the pitching staff to – find their role, I don't think. And I think that's why the team struggled early on. But look at conference play. You can chalk it up to the American being crappy or whatever, but to me it has everything to do with just guys stepping up when you need them to. C.J. Mayhew started off in the bullpen and kind of that ultimate closer role, and then he was your Friday night guy in the postseason. Ryder Giles was your starting shortstop and occasional change of pace bullpen guy first half of the year, really first couple years of his career. He was your Friday night guy for a month, month and a half there, and he did a really good job there. And just the way guys were able to piece it together, and it was just that closers mentality they talked about game after game last year. Just you're not going in there thinking, oh, I need to go six innings. Just go out there. You're getting – get through an inning. If you hand it over the next guy, you hand it over the next guy. But this year, what's impressive is – We've seen what Austin Knight can do with the pitching staff when you're having to scramble, but now we're seeing what he can do with the pitching staff when you don't. Trey Savage is an elite Friday night guy. Uh, Josh Gross is an elite Sunday guy right now. He's probably a Friday caliber arm too. Carter Spivey is too. His, he's been a lot better than what of his numbers have shown. And today, this year, I think the bullpen has been a little shallow just in terms of availability at times. And just the development of guys, whether it's midseason last year, or last year to this year, just the jumps, the major jumps guys have taken, it's it's undeniable. And I think all the credit goes to Austin Knight. And, yeah, it, the questions about him I don't understand, but I will continue going on that rant that I just went on and I've gone on time after time. But you couldn't have asked for a better job, especially given the situation that ECU has been in the past couple of years. So all the credit to Austin Knight. Yeah, look at some of these numbers, guys, on the mound thus far. Um, obviously 308 ERA is good, but 258 strikeouts as a pitching staff compared to 82 walks and a 219 batting average against, they've allowed just 14 home runs in 24 games. I mean, those are, those are elite numbers, no matter which way you slice them. Obviously starting rotation gets a ton of that credit, but Scott, I, I think we all knew this pitching staff had the chance to be good, but. How it's shaping up, and again, long way to go. 
they got to continue it. They got to stay healthy. But I don't know if we we could envision quite this. This is kind of what we expected when we had Gavin and Wizard Hunt on Friday and Saturday nights. Um, you know, you look at at Trey Savage coming out and he's got um, a sub one whip and a sub two ERA um, and a ton of strikeouts. He has three 11 strikeout games um, already this year. Um, then you flip to Groves, who's only gotten better. Um, this last weekend was probably his best pitching performance that he's had at ECU. Um, and not so much because he's getting strikeouts. It's because he didn't walk it. He walked one guy in eight innings. Um, and then Spivey, um, when you look at these three starters, it might surprise you to find out that Spivey has given up fewer extra base hits than any of the, of the other three or the other two. Um, he's only given up five doubles and no home runs, no triples. Um, and I think he's just – he's his whip is at 1.5. You'd like it probably down to 1.2 or 1.25, somewhere in that range. Um, but there's been so many soft hits that have fallen in um, when, when Spivey's been pitching. Um, and then we have a defense that has a, a fielding percentage of 0.981. So eventually those bat- batting average on balls and play numbers are going to start to work in Spivey's favor. And you'll see him go six, seven, eight innings um, because he does pitch to contact and he does pitch to weak contact. And once you put all that together, I mean, you're looking at a staff that is capable of just carrying this team to Omaha over um, two weekends in June. All right. To completely switch gears, um, Philip Unger asks, more absurd ejection, Cliff and Moreland after the game Wednesday or JT Real Muto today in spring training. So I just looked at the Real Muto clip um, while you were talking, Scott. No disrespect. Uh, <laughs> but I had to I had to get some uh I had to get some clarification. I like scrolled by it earlier today. Um, but I had to really watch it to give a fair answer. Have y'all seen it? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So um I don't think you can get worse than – I don't think you can get more absurd than that. So, um, I feel like this is a pretty easy one to answer. Wags, we'll, we'll start with you, but feel free to give your take on also the Cliff and Moylan clip, which we don't have as good a video of, to be fair, but still, uh, I thought both were a little absurd. Yeah, I'll I'll start with um, the Riamuto one, but I think I was, I was reading just Twitter because I was in disbelief. I couldn't believe that. He got ejected for that in a spring training game, nonetheless. But I think earlier in the game, there was a situation similar where Riamuto kind of put his glove back to get the ball from the umpire, and the umpire threw it back to the pitcher himself. So I think, you know, Riamuto didn't get the ball right away when he put his hand back, and so he probably assumed the same thing. Put his arm down. That's what we think. Maybe he was being an ass. Who knows? But probably not. You know, it's ridiculous. And then on the Cliff and Moylan one, we, we don't know exactly what was said or done. We saw the video. Shout out to Corey Cunningham's dad um, for streaming that one for us. And, you know, did Josh Moylan draw a line in the sand? It kind of looked like he did, which is an ejection. Definitely an ejection. But at that point, just walk away. And, yeah, but yeah I think that one, if Josh Moylan, if that's what he actually did, he did draw a line in the sand, then – you're not going to hear any complaints from me about him getting ejected there. But either way, that Remuto one is just ridiculous. I'm tired of the ump show. 
Same thing with guys, the Bryson Worrell watching his home run last year and the umpire pushing him along. It's like, just go away. Just go away. And, Scott, it seems like for me uh, a two-game, and it's not an official suspension, basically for the player, technically speaking, we texted about this, you're getting ejected for the next game, whatever the hell that means, uh, and then you're getting suspended. But basically a two-game suspension unofficially. You know, that just seems like that's a rule probably written for something absurd, speaking of absurd. For Josh Mullen to have to sit two games for literally drawing a line in the sand is the most – it's just it's, it's bullshit. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I mean, come on, what are we doing here? Yeah, um, I will tell you that the ECU intramural policy for being ejected after a game is only one game. Um, I know that from personal experience, so <laughs> that's something that Cliff and I now can bond over is getting ejected to a game in a game that is actually over. Um, when I was ejected. The guy told me, you're out of here. And I said, everyone's out of here. The game is over. And this was the last game of the night. Um, so then I had to go talk to the, the head of ECU Intramurals. Um, and I served only a one-game suspension, um, uh, much like Cliff. So, um, yeah, I, two games is a lot for – and one thing I'll say with both the um, the Real Muto and the Moylan thing is you don't know what was said. Um which is often a thing that is missed with baseball ejections is because there's no microphone. You don't hear the words and there are certain words. Um, maybe not even the one that I go used earlier that you just can't say to an umpire. Um, if you watch Bull Durham, they'll fill you in, but um, you, you never know what was said. And so without knowing that it's hard to say whether it was justified or not, but I would, I would, I would agree that two games is a lot for, a you know a guy up there in a top 25 matchup with a game on the line he gets called out on a, a pitch that he thought was out and he was upset about it and showed some emotion um those are the kind of guys that i want to have on our team um it's unfortunate that it cost him you know two games that don't never get back yeah that's the other thing is like the umpire has to understand it's an emotional moment you're ending the game on a call third strike if it's the third inning it's like five nothing and he draws a line in the sand that's one thing like just be the bigger man and, and walk away all right it's not that big of a deal like the game wasn't even streamed nobody's gonna freaking see it unless you eject him like i mean come on what are we doing here um now everybody saw it <sighs> don't get me started all right um We'll go rapid fire with some of these questions because we're getting to 10 o'clock. If you got any final questions, drop them in the comments section. We'll hit them here shortly. Um, Josh Hill wants to know, does John Gilbert, who was appointed to the committee, help us on the committee, or does he try and appear unbiased and overcorrect? I, I think it helps. I don't think there's any way it doesn't help. It should be noted he will not be on the committee for this year. He's being appointed, I believe, in August so uh, it'll or September, so it'll be future years. So it will not impact ECU, at least, you know, he may have a line to the committee, but he will not be in the room, but he's going to be on the committee for several years. So definitely a significant advantage there. Awesome comment here from Dave. Honestly thought nobody actually went out and did this. Um, but Dave says, went to KFC after Friday night game, uh, 15 strikeouts. If you're unaware, KFC has a promo they're running now where – 10 strikeouts, right? Gets you a free chicken leg. And Dave went 
There were no chicken legs at KFC. By the way, what are you doing, KFC? If you get, <laughs> how can you not have chicken legs if you're Kentucky Fried Chicken? I mean, yeah, that's like that original recipe. They wanted extra crispy. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, to their credit, Dave says they very graciously subbed out other chicken pieces. So kudos to them. That's that's a a weird way to put it, Dave. Um, obviously, <laughs> other chicken pieces is. I mean, that could mean anything. <laughs> Dave left with three chicken feet, and <laughs> also Dave asked a question earlier that I was going to hit on, but okay. uh, he asked about the left on base numbers from last year. We left uh, four hundred eighty on base over sixty seven games, which would be about seven a game. Um, and this year we're about um, eight and a half or a little more than eight and a half. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely up. Um, so we've done, I think it's, yeah, 8.45, 203 left on base through 24 games. So to answer your question, Dave. This man did live math on the podcast, or maybe he already had it ready to go. Either way, impressive work, Scott. Uh, Dave says uh, they waited till after the game was over, so maybe early levers beat us to the legs. Maybe so. Frank Durham says 15 chicken gizzards. Um, uh, Johnny Re- Robertson says 169 through. What does that What does that mean, Johnny? Am I missing something here? I don't know. <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> Uh, maybe he was starting to type and then didn't finish. I don't know. All right, Frank Durham, this is a good question. Uh, would our pitching staff in 2023 have been able to beat Texas in two? I, I think they would certainly be able to beat this this Texas squad in two, but obviously we're talking about last year. Um, yeah, I mean, probably. It's always tough to say the what-if game, but I, I think the way ECU's pitching now, if you had Worrell hitting in this lineup, absolutely. What do y'all think? Yeah, I think um... – I do think it's something I, when I thought, when I saw that question, I was, my first thought was, you know, I think you do have to consider, you know, Trey Savage is better than what CJ Mayhew was last year. And CJ Mayhew was really good. And so if he came in with Trey Savage on Friday, I don't, I don't think anybody beats Trey Savage. Obviously, you know, it could happen, but I think you win that game. You won that game last year. And then game two, if you roll out Carter Spivey, I don't, I don't know. It depends. Do you roll out Carter Spivey or do you roll out Josh Gross? Josh Gross, I believe, started game three last year. Or was it game two? He started one of those either way. I think it was game two. Okay, yeah. yeah. Danny Bill started game three. That's right. Okay. Because, But then I think if, you know, you look at Josh Gross of last year, Josh Gross of this year is a completely different Josh Gross. So I think to me, if you roll out maybe those two, then you've got a pretty good shot. But whether you're rolling out you Savage and Spivey, you Savage and Gross, I think you have a chance against anybody. Scott, you think the Pirates of 2023 beat the Texas Longhorns of 2022 pitching staff wise? Um, so the question was in two. I don't know that we win that series in two oh, games still. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that third game is is significantly um, closer and much more competitive than what it turned out to be. Um, and part of that would just be that you see, you would see your Savage go on Friday night um, really deep into the game. We'd have more of our bullpen arms on Saturday. Maybe we do win into on Saturday with, with an, a couple extra guys out of the bullpen. 
Um, and then I think Sunday, that game's a lot tighter. Um, if it's, if it is grows on Sunday, this year's grows as opposed to last year's grows. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think we go to Omaha with this year's pitching staff and last year's offense and defense. Uh, Johnny Gardner says in wrap up of the show, hated to hear the Mike Schwartz podcast pushed back to next week. Any idea when that now will drop? So right now we are scheduled for next Monday at one, but honestly with the the baby likely to get here Thursday, Friday, I would say it's very much in the air. Um, they had to postpone due to some recruiting stuff. So we'll see it. It'll be kind of a moving date, but either way, um, we'll have him on soon. I know he's scheduled to do some stuff with Pirate Radio, also 94.3. So I, I think you'll hear from him next week either way, barring something. But they're, you know, with the portal, with recruiting, they're kind of all over the place right now. So we'll get him on at some point this offseason. Um, but, yeah, of course, as soon as I put out the tweet, he'll join us. They rescheduled. That's how it usually goes. Uh, Frank says he thinks the bullpen would be the difference. And Brandon Carr says, nice shirt, Scott. Wags, not so much. Looks like your shirt says USF. I guess it is kind of hard to see, but it does say USA baseball, but I definitely understand why you see that. So, yeah. Let it be that, known, that's by the way, that uh, one member of this podcast was in <laughs> uh, Stadium Stadium uh, at one point this weekend for a non-ECU game. Also, one member of this podcast was uh, – in NC State Stadium earlier this year uh, for a non-ECU game. Uh, I am not either of those people. <laughs> Look, I'll defend myself here. I was in Boschmer Stadium on Friday night. It was a pre-planned trip with one of my friends who is a Carolina fan. And I didn't even grow up a Carolina baseball fan. I grew up a Carolina basketball fan. That was it. But now I don't care about Carolina basketball. I don't care about Carolina baseball, especially not – Compared to ECU baseball, it was a pre-planned trip. We always talk about the good baseball in the state of North Carolina. So, you know, we wanted to go to that. We wanted to go to Durham. So it was a pre-planned trip. We, and we planned it out to where it was on a weekend where ECU was not playing anything important. And no offense, George Mason, but you fit the bill. So it was pre-planned. We headed out there for a couple months. Roast me if you want, if you want to, but I'll take the blame, I guess. I do have a question. Did you get the Bojangles at Boshover Stadium? I did not. I thought about it. It was right. I was sitting right in front of it. I know you guys have been telling me for weeks, but you doing, I man? did not make my way over there, unfortunately. Oh, man. That's just uh, – just let it be known, Wags, that <laughs> you enjoy the Boshover Stadium atmosphere more than the jungle. Oh, and then you no. get the Bojangles. Hell no. <laughs> the Boshamer Library, the fans, the one that I was there on Friday and nobody cheered the entire game. I was in the session next to the Duke families, which, first of all, Duke has fans, I guess, finally. And nobody from Carolina cheered that entire game until I think the seventh, eighth inning. And this one guy got in front of us, and he was screaming every pitch. And the Duke fans started mocking him. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I hate everyone here. But, yeah, the, no, nobody compares to the jungle. Nobody compares to the ECU. The Boschmer Library is not even in the same discussion. Frank says he almost threw up in his mouth about Orange County Community College. Uh, <laughs> Phillip says, don't let Scott fool you. He definitely grew up a UNC basketball fan as well. Thankfully, he has seen the error in his ways. What, what do you have to say for yourself, Scott? 
Oh, Duke fan, Philip. Is that who we're talking about right now? Duke fan I, that I've heard say we about Duke basketball in the last year. Um, yeah, I'll see you at our next family event, Philip. That's what I'll have to say. No, I definitely did pull for UNC basketball as a child. But when I was a child, I thought as a child, I walked as a child, I talked as a child. And when I became a man, I put away childish things. So take that for what it's worth. I feel like, unfortunately, with the way the UNC Duke rivalry is, you almost like have to choose a team as a child because a lot of people see it that way. But many people realize the foolishness once they arrive at the great East Carolina University. Um, Josh does add that he saw Wags <laughs> waiting after the game to get all the Carolina players to sign his glove. So Josh was also there, apparently. So interesting. Um, he just yeah. brought himself down there with me, I guess. <laughs> Josh is actually a big Duke baseball fan. Uh, I don't want to believe. Um, all right. Again, any questions, drop them. We'll hope the show like we always do, guys. Prediction time. Did we all did oh, we yeah, have 4-0 last week? I went 4-0 because I wanted to say um, Pachycephalosaurus. I think I went three and one. I went three and one with a loss to George Mason, so I'm a dumbass. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna. Uh, we got all right. So we got UNCW. Then we got at Houston. I'll start it off this time, guys. Um, since I feel like I always go first or go last, so I'm going to a big win tomorrow. I think ECU wins big over UNCW, and then I got them winning the first two at Houston and falling on Sunday. So three in one week, two out of three at Houston. I don't know. I just have a feeling at Houston, different, you know, not the best team in the world, but I still think going across the country to play your first road weekend series will be easy. So I'm going three and one. Uh, Scott, we'll go to you next. Um, yeah. So one of, one of the um, groomsmen in my wedding actually pitched at UNCW. So I think we win them and I think we win by at least 10. I think we, we, it's like a 12 two type game. I think we really attack the ball. Um, and we, we get a few balls that leave the yard. Uh, then we go to Houston. Um, you know, you said Sunday you think we lose. I think Sunday their Sunday starter has actually been their most effective guy this year. They have a team ERA of 6.3. Um, yeah, I think we went all four. I think we went all four because I don't think Houston can pitch well enough to keep us off the scoreboard. Um, and if you're giving up six runs a game, I don't think that any of our – I don't think – between you, Savage, Spivey, and Groves, anyone will have a bad enough outing to where um, six runs won't be enough. So, yeah, 4-0. We'll go 4 now. All right, UNC fans, take us home. <laughs> oh, hell no. But, okay, so for the second straight week, Scott's going to go 4-0. Igo and I are both going to go 3-1 and just with differing – Losses. I also believe – I think we're all in unison that a big win tomorrow night against UNCW. I agree with that. I think – something I talked about earlier is I question if the offense is going to come out firing right away on the road. But Friday night, I think Trey Savage – I don't think it matters what you do on offense. You score a run, you're, you might be good enough against Houston. So I think you win on Friday. I think you lose on Saturday. I think it's a low-scoring game, a 4-3 to three type of thing. But I do think ECU comes back on Sunday. The bats finally kind of find their groove, warm up, and Josh Coach pisses well again. So I'm going to go three and one with a loss on Saturday. 
All right, there you have it, Johnny Robertson. I think he was trying to type this earlier. He says 169 left on base, 33 runs last year. And compared to this year, it's 203 left on base and 183 runs this year through 24 games. So interesting that ECU, according to his number, has scored 50 more runs at this point in the season. Do I have that right? Is that correct? I think so. Two or three left on base is definitely right for this year. Um, I don't know about the other numbers, but I guess um, he tallied it all up on his own. But either way, uh, good numbers there. It shows that ECU's offense much better this year early on than last year. Obviously, ECU took off in the second half last year due to the early struggles. Those numbers are down. All right, let's get out of here, guys. And again, um, Frank Durham says 4-0. Leslie Brooks says 4-0. So low expectations for the coming week for the Pirates. Um, so next Monday night, more than likely, we will not be live. That said, uh, we're going to try to go live. Um, Frank says he's sorry. Is there a blizzard coming through Houston? We should wipe the floor with the Cougars. I mean, yeah, but it's still t- it's hard to go on the road and win three baseball games. It's just Especially when you're ranked number eight, you're going to get their best shot. That's my take on it. Obviously, ECU can sweep. We'll see if they they will. All right, so next Monday, East Carolina, regardless of of what the weekend is, we will probably not be live because I'll be raising uh, a new child. And uh, Jonathan and Scott will probably be with you in podcast form, so check us out on the Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast channel, and we'll have a a show up that way. Um, Hoping to get back the following Monday in mid-April but we'll keep you guys updated and what we'll probably do is uh either I will tweet out or we'll tweet out from the Hoist the Colors account asking for questions for the show that way we can keep the interaction up um even though we're not live but we will keep you guys posted on the live podcast uh but either way appreciate all the comments questions everything uh Jonathan Scott thank you guys as always and for Scott Lorbacher, for Jonathan Wagner, I am Stephen Igo. This has been the Hoist the Colors podcast. We will talk to you guys next time. New CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Finally, not letting the gut here. Walking to paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.